Hi there, and welcome to the Saints Church Podcast. My name is Julia, and today we will be diving into another message from our current series, Family Vibes. If you're like me and like to make the most out of your podcast listening, why not grab a notebook and a pen, your favorite drink, and sit back as Pastor Brett delivers a life-changing message. Here we go. Family Vibes. I don't know about you, but I have a f- like some very fond memories of some of my absolute favorite family gatherings, going to my grandparents' house at Christmas time or Easter, or we would kind of do like a monthly Sunday lunch after church. And I, I just loved going there. I, I love eating the food. I love spending time with the family. Now, I'm the oldest cousin, so I love that day where I graduated from the kids table and I got to sit at the adults table there was just something special and so many of the memories that I connected to my family so many of those moments revolved around that table Acts 242 is a picture of the origin stories of the church and I just wonder if we have underestimated the power of the table in our spiritual journey. This is Acts 2.42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to sharing in meals, including, but I say including, but not limited to the Lord's Supper and to prayer. They committed themselves to those four things. So if we're trying to understand what what does the beginning of the church look like? It looked like uh, believers devoted to the apostles' teaching, to truth, to teaching. And I think we've, we've, done, a, we've done a great job at this. They, they were devoted to fellowship. We've not done as great a job here that this, this idea of fellowship is this intimacy, connection, relationship, friendship, even on a deeper level, into sharing in meals and to prayer. So we've taken these four pillars, these four things that the early church has built on, the origins of the ecclesia, that's the Greek word, that we're called out from our comfortable place into a public place that we could spread and share that hope and life that's found in Jesus. Now, when we think about these four pillars, and we think about our church and our context. Now we can talk about Saints Church and maybe you go to Glastonbury or you're a part of Glory Hills or maybe you're a part of our online community here. Uh, maybe you're watching online uh, or on TV. You might say, well, uh, you know, I, I pray and prayer is an important thing. We have prayer meetings and we have the apostles teaching. And, and, you know, I think in this season, this COVID season, what we've all learned and what we've all been leaning into and, and realizing is this deep need for a human connection. I don't know about you, uh, but even for s- some of my introverted friends who would, who would be on that side of the scale, they're like, you know what, I, I, I think I'm done now. I could use a little social interaction. I could use a hug from my friend. I, I could use a shoulder to cry on. I could use somebody to laugh with. And and what's happened in this season is that there's just been this like highlighting of maybe some of the things that we took for granted that were a part of the origin stories of the church. More than anything else, the church is a community. Jesus would describe the church through the Apostle Paul as not only his body, as his bride. So there's this relational connectivity. 
we are building a house on a firm foundation, so we're building our lives on him. And I think what he's doing is he's bringing to our awareness our deep desire for human connection, the spiritual connection that happens through relational connection, how God is using those friendships to, you know, as the Proverbs say, as iron sharpens iron, he's using it to sharpen us to, to share love with. He, he's using that tool, and it plays such a major part for us. The other interesting item is number three, is sharing in meals. I don't know if you know this, but Communion wasn't always Welch's grape juice in a little plastic cup and some terrible tasting crackers. It wasn't always that way. Uh, communion, actually, the first communion really started as a part of a dinner, the Last Supper with Jesus. And as uh, the cup was being passed around the table, he, said, he just picked it up and he, he made it an analogy. And he said, listen, this is my blood. And he started talking about it. And as the, the bread went around the table, he started breaking pieces off. And he said, this is like my body. And, and Jesus did it in the context of, get this, a meal. I wonder if we have systematized our relationships and systematized our sacraments to such a point that we have become disconnected from the root system, that there is a spiritual key to be unlocked through fellowship, community, relationship, and sharing in meals. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says this, speaking of the church in, Rome, uh, in Ephesus, sorry, he says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. So when we think about the, the four pillars, let's say, of church found in Acts 2, uh, that's the what, but we have to ask ourselves the question, what's the how? Because the culture of it, the vibe of it, the family feeling of it is what we're trying to get to. We know what we should do, but the question is how we should do it, and not in as much as like how do we prepare a meal, but what's the spirit about it? What's the heart behind it? What's the direction? What's the why behind we do it? And here it says, imitate God therefore in everything you do and live a life filled with love. It says, imitate God because you are his dear children. In other words, his DNA in your life, his attributes, his character, as he's changing you and transforming you to look more and more like him means that you will be overflowing with love. Following the example of Jesus, we're overwhelmingly looking like, feeling like, acting like, and putting out there love. An overwhelming kind of love, a love that doesn't give up, a love that quit. It doesn't keep, it keeps no records of wrongs. I mean, you could look at 1 Corinthians 13. So then our family vibe or our feel is love and the mode and the method with which we carry that out is deep fellowship, a deep love for one another and, and a deep intentional purposeful gathering where we break bread, but we don't just break bread, but we open up our hearts and we open up our lives and our homes. I think it would be a shame if we were to celebrate all things reopening as we move past COVID and if we simply opened up church buildings and if we didn't open up our lives. Because the reality is church buildings is not the church, are not the church, whatever the proper grammar is. You are the church. 
And Jesus is asking us in this season to lean in, to take what we've learned, to imitate him, to live a life of love, to live in close proximity, to live in relationship, to, to, to do what like the Apostle Paul says, to imitate me as I imitate Christ, follow me as I follow Christ, to live in close quarters, to share our lives together, to open up our hearts and our homes, not just our buildings. He said, it's going to be a determiner. It's his DNA coming through you. It's his attributes coming through you. It's a determiner. John 13, 35 says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way that you love is the proof of concept that you are a follower of Jesus. The way you open your life, the way you open your home, the way you open your heart is proof of concept that you are a follower of Jesus. Now this might even seem a little counterintuitive to us because we're like, listen, no, we just need to love people. I've got this like whole evangelistic streak. You're like, this seems very self-serving. It's not self-serving when you understand that the atmosphere of loving one another is is the root system, is the soil, it is the place, it is the fertilizer where people can grow. When they come into an atmosphere where they can be loved, where love is, is preeminent and it's before all things. When, when you enter that, when you leave drama behind, when you leave backbiting and gossip and slander behind and you just step into an environment where there is just this overwhelming love, everything begins to change because everything that you know about human relationship is redefined and it's redefined through the lens of Jesus. The table was and is a place of intimacy and connection. I'll say it again. The table was and is a place of intimacy and connection. You know what I love to do and I'm so excited about doing in this season? I I, I love barbecue. I love smoking meats. I love a 12-hour cook for a brisket. I love the whole preparing the sides and and cooking up all these different things. I love having people over and having a house full and a patio full and a backyard full. I, I think I'm most excited about sharing in these meals together. But I think what I've learned about myself is that as much as I enjoy eating the brisket and as much as I enjoy like like just diving in and having a great meal. What I love more is serving my friends. Because in those moments, with, with every hour that goes by, when, when I'm cooking a brisket for 12 hours and I get up at 5 in the morning, that takes a special type of commitment, a special type of sacrifice to prepare. And there's, there's something about showing my love for my friends by making that sacrifice for them. I love all the preparation and there's like that adrenaline rush that kind of kicks in. Like when you're like, you're just putting it all together. And you're like, are we going to make it? They're going to be here in five minutes. Are we ready? And you're just kind of like getting ready. And so, yeah, I love enjoying the meal together, but I love watching them enjoy the meal. There's something about watching others enjoy that is a joy. There's something about serving sacrificially others that brings a special type of contentment when they bite in to that first 
bite when they love it. And I love it that they love it, and I love it that I can do it for them. You know, uh, in, in the Middle East culture, Near East culture, particularly in the time of the New Testament, the table was known as a place of intimacy and connection. You see, I think we take for granted going out for a restaurant and sharing a meal. That just wasn't a thing. Someone would have to open their home for you and they would bring you into their life and you would, you would all just share an extended period of time together. And there wasn't TV to watch or something else to do. It was the highlight to go and spend your life because in this culture, in the context of Scripture, to share a meal together was to share your life together. So the table was and is, I believe it can be again, a place of intimacy and connection. We don't just share a meal when we gather around the table, we share our lives. So let's look at the actual practicalities, the actual hows of the early church. It says this in Acts 2.46, they worshiped together at the temple each day. Okay, that was amazing. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. A marker of these meals was great joy and generosity, a great joy to serve one another, to prepare something, to see somebody else enjoy it, to take care of someone, to make something that somebody loves, to just do it for them. Why? Because it's special to to put in that extra little bit of love because you know that you love the person that you're preparing it for. Great joy in generosity was the characteristic of this table. Can I ask you this? When was the last time you would define a dinner that you were a part of as one that was marked by great joy and generosity? Would you define your friendships and your relationships as relationships that are marked with great joy and generosity. You see, a DNA marker that proves to the world that we are disciples of Jesus is not only our love, but a product of that love is great joy and generosity. When you love somebody, you're happy for them as they move through the greatest successes of their life. You're sad for them when they go through a deep loss, but you're steady for them when they need a shoulder to cry on. There's nothing better than laughing together as you celebrate and you just live in, in a great moment. It's a marker. There's a generosity in you when you love somebody that you help make that dream happen or you help take care of their most basic needs. I wonder if our busyness and our, uh, the chaos of our lives and the institutionalization of our relationship has eroded and degraded our capacity to be present with one another and love each other in a moment that trickles out from just a meal into our lives. Here's another marker. It says, A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. This sense of awe and wonder came on them. In this community that was marked by great joy and generosity, awe and wonder was wrapped in there. I wonder... If some of the greatest miracles that happened in that situation came out of a genuine love for one another. Because, you know, when it's a loved one going through something, you know, there's a different desperation that comes in your prayer. When it's a loved one in need of something, there's a different 
way that you respond, where you, you, you give and you contribute and do what you can do with what you have. It's just a little different when it's somebody you love. It just hits a little different. Then add into the mix that before almost every major miracle that Jesus performed, this phrase appears, and Jesus was moved with compassion. I wonder if the power that you have been seeking or the, the power and the glory of Jesus Christ, the healings, the signs and the wonders, I wonder if they are not as prevalent in our day and age because the deep love, fellowship, and connection is not first and foremost in our community. And you say, hold on though, we, but we love one another. Yeah, we like one another. See, love keeps no records of wrong. Love forgives. Love looks past frustrations. Love looks past offense. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love creates a space of grace where people can encounter hope, life, and freedom, but most importantly, where they can encounter forgiveness from you and for you. Love changes the atmosphere. Maybe the greatest miracle that happened was the one of generosity where people just started taking care of others' needs where they thought of someone else before they thought of themselves. Then this is what happens. Verse 47, the result all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. He added to their relationships, to their community, to their homes, to their lives, those who were being saved, those who were not already saved, those who were not already cleaned up. It's a space for grace where people can grow and they can develop and they're going to make mistakes and there's going to be tough moments. But because of love, love will carry them through because they know that your home is a safe refuge. They know that they have somewhere to go. They were added to their fellowship to their relationship, those who were being saved, those who are in process. Do you have room in your life and in your schedule for somebody who is in process? Is there room at your table? Is there room at your table? Let me let's change camera angles for a moment. Let's change our thought process for a moment. Let me ask you another question. Let's come at it from a different direction. What is the tone of your table? What is the tone of your table? I want to just share with you uh, something from Dr. Ronald Rollheiser. He's actually a Canadian scholar and theologian. This is what he talks about when he talks about forming community. He says, until we reach a certain level of maturity, we form community largely around scapegoating. That is, we overcome our differences and tensions by focusing on someone or something about whom or which we share a common distancing, indignation, ridicule, anger, or jealousy. That is the anthropological function of gossip, and a very important one it is. Think about that for a moment. We overcome our differences and tensions by scapegoating someone or something. My friends, can I tell you 
That is not the way of Jesus. But the quote continues. He says, that is why it is easier to form community against something rather than around something. And why it is easier to define ourselves more by what we are against than by what we are for. We overcome our differences and tensions by scapegoating someone or something. You come together based on what you're against. This is an us and them mentality. I'm against that person. I'm against that change. I'm against that that elected official. I'm against that pastor or leader. I'm against that father or mother. You know, the kids, my sister and I didn't agree on much, but we could agree that when we needed to get together and cause some change in our family, we could unite our forces for what we thought was good, but most likely was nothing but trouble. Trouble has a way of bringing people together, which is why the church has an identity crisis, because we have for a long time defined ourselves by what we are against, and we struggle to define what we are for. And when we come down to a personal level, we wrestle with the things that we are for. Because it is easier to set ourselves up against something or someone than it is to decide I'm for this. Because when I look in the mirror, I can fight against something almost like a default. But when you ask me what I'm really about, the question is, can you answer? I'm thankful that Jesus didn't think of us in this way. (laughs) Going back to being imitators of Christ, Scripture says that while we were still enemies, this is Romans 5, while we were still enemies, Jesus came at just the right time. Jesus had every right to be against us, this fallen and broken humanity who has walked so far away from his ways. But instead of walking away from us, he leans into us. He becomes Emmanuel, God with us. He builds a relationship while we were still enemies. He was for you before you knew he could be against you. Let's, let's shift over to the book of Ephesians because it starts breaking out this idea. This is Ephesians 4. It says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And then he gets really explicit in what that looks like. But to frame our conversation, let's, dis- let's decide and determine that we are the church that is for people. We are for our neighbor. We're for our community. We're for our family. We are for those who are far away from God. They are not our enemies. They are people that we are called to love. I am for hope and life and freedom and healing. I am for the next generation. I am for a deep encounter with the presence of Jesus. I am for laying my life and my preference and my ideology down at the foot of the cross that I may embrace the way of Jesus. So then he tells us, this is how we do it. Buckle up, come on. This is how we do it. He says, okay, let the Spirit renew your thoughts. 
and your attitudes, because your attitude needs just as much refinement, maybe a little more than your thought. He says, put on your new nature because you're created to be like God. He says, so, this is what that looks like, so stop telling lies. Romans 12 says, be, on, be honest in the evaluation of yourself. Stop telling lies to yourself and stop telling lies to your friends. And he says, let us tell our neighbors the truth. Stop puffing yourself up. Stop building yourself up. Also, stop hiding the truth that Jesus is changing and transforming your life and that you can attribute every form of success that you are living into Jesus Christ. And you can, afford, you can uh, attribute to him every part of forgiveness and grace and mercy to his goodness that you could, you could say that the reason you're still standing today is because of the faithfulness of God. So stop telling lies and let's start telling our neighbors the truth for we are all parts of the same body. We're all a part of the same body. When you succeed, they succeed. Literally, 1 Corinthians says that when, when one part of the body is suffering, so too is the rest of the body. So stop telling lies. Stop saying that you're okay when you're not okay so your neighbor can pray for you. I wonder what would happen if we stopped acting like we had it all together and if we started living like people of faith who were in desperate need of Jesus, that we, we trusted Him with everything, and we were honest about our situations and our struggles and our fears. And then he gets really down into it. He says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Ooh, did you notice that the, there's the word and? He connected the thoughts. So stop telling lies, let us tell our neighbors the truth because we're part of the same bodies and don't sin by letting anger control you. I wonder if we have been hiding from having hard conversations, if we've been hiding for, from forgiveness, from having to forgive our neighbors. I wonder if we've been harboring feelings and we've been allowing anger to control us by not being honest with that person. Now there's a whole process in scripture. Jesus lays it out in Matthew 18 for us to rebuild our relationships. So maybe that love for one another starts with giving an opportunity to forgive and be forgiven. It says, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. He says, deal with it. Don't put it off. Don't, don't push it aside. Don't let it go. Because what happens when you push it aside is you let the roots grow down deep. Hebrews 12 says, don't let that root of bitterness. Can I tell you that root of bitterness starts in the same place with the seed of anger. He says, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. What is the tone of your table? Is it one of grace, mercy, truth, love, life, forgiveness? Or are you a table that is against? You're a table that scapegoats and finds a common enemy. The way of Jesus would call us to love one another, to forgive one another, and to follow him forward. And it starts to twist in verse 28. It starts to turn. It says, if you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work. Then give generously to help others in need. 
Don't use foul or abusive language. Come on, what's the tone of your table? Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful. And then to another level, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. If you notice, he says, listen, if you steal things, stop doing that, then be generous. It's a redemptive storyline. If, if your words are abusive and foul, then start saying good and helpful things and let your words be used for encouragement. In other words, let your actions and your words and your deeds be multiplied by the goodness of Jesus. Focus on the good things. Invite him into the conversation. Help invite him into your struggle. If you're wrestling with something, he says, listen, just stop doing it and put your hand to something that is good. Commit yourself to something that is good. He's going to take that which was intended for evil, that which the accuser would come and tell you, listen, you're always going to be that way. That's your human nature. But the great news is it doesn't matter what your human nature Nature. It doesn't matter if you're born this way. Jesus calls you to be born again and to be transformed. So you just put that thing out of your heart and your mind. You said, you know what? That which was intended for evil, the Lord is going to use for good. If, if my heart is, is selfish, then he's going to make me a generous person. The world of the generous, come on, Proverbs 11 gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. If your circle is getting smaller, it could be a heart issue. What's the tone of your table? The book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul doubles down. He says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, just one final thing. I've got one final thing for you. He says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. What's the tone of your table? One of my heroes in the faith, Pastor Dick Iverson, he's passed away now, he's in heaven. He says this, he says, when you fall in love with the church, you will treat it different. When you fall in love with the people in your community, the people in the online chat, the people in your online Zoom group or your in-person small group, the person in your apartment building, when you fall in love with that community, that church, when you fall in love with that, you will treat it differently. You'll fix your thoughts on things that are honorable. You'll say, this is a place of peace. This is a place of mercy and grace. When you fall in love with the church, you will treat it differently. May we rediscover the table as a place of intimacy and connection. May we rediscover the table as a place of intimacy and connection where we don't just share our meals, but where we share our lives. <laughs> well, I just need to ask you one more time. What's the tone of your table? What are you for? Who are you for? While we are still enemies, Jesus Christ came at just the right time that he could restore us. Who do you need to restore a relationship with today? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to reach out to? And you might feel like they need to reach out to you. I wonder what might just happen to your emotional capacity if you just reached out first. 
created a space of love and reconciliation. Come on, he's calling us deeper in this season to fellowship, intimacy, connection, and relationship. If you want to know more about Jesus or who we are as a church, head on over to saintschurch.ca. We meet every Sunday and would love to see your beautiful faces in person. Also, if you'd like to hear more on how to follow Jesus one step at a time, we have a whole collection of sermons right here on this podcast. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week. See you next time. Thank you.